0: Block talk
1: radio this is our common ground alternative activist empowerment talk radio speaking truth to our and
2: ourselves who are you you don't know don't tell me negro that's not this what were you
3: before the white man means you a negro and where were you and
2: what did you have? What
4: was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a
5: revolutionary. Let's is about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it
4: speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because
5: ultimately our people's future resides on what we do outside of the white house
3: african descent fairly america failed she put
6: And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And thank you
5: for being with us here at Our Common Ground. I am Janice Graham. And it, every year, every, every year that spring finally sprung, uh, springs itself, jumpstarts the Northeast, I am so pleased to be able to announce that though it was raining, Though the clouds came in and they were gray, spring has finally sprung in the Northeast. That is the good news of the day. And in Boston, the citizens of Boston had a great celebration and time at the 32nd anniversary of the great... Boston Kite Festival, and uh, you could see thousands of bright-colored kites flying in the air out of Franklin Park and the golf course today, and the children, I am sure, celebrated exactly as children should celebrate. I got a pre-Mother's Day um gift uh this afternoon, I spent five solid hours with just me and my three grand joys. yeah, we went shopping for miles because he's twelve and he grows out of everything and he got such a he 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 was shopping for Trousers for slacks, for dress slacks, and a nice um, sports coat, formal but sports coat just the same. We bought, this boy is 12 years old and he wears a size 13 shoe, and got some really, really, really slick, slick, slick um, shoes on the feet. It'll be Good to see shoes on the feet, leather shoes instead of um, instead of um instead of um sneakers. you know what I mean. We thank you for being with us tonight, and tonight is our monthly our common ground. Open mic Saturday night, and it is live, and our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. What we try to do is to catch up on the critical issues before us, and tonight we are going to be covering a little bit of um, the crisis of kidnapping girls in Nigeria, uh, looking at what happens after the mid-elections because I am calling it the road to Obama's impeachment. Yes, we are headed for impeachment of this president of the United States. Want to look at some hate speech and black consumer power. Uh, India DeClaire today on her broadcast was talking about whether or not we are really serious in using our consumer power as political power. And I want to open up the mic for some talk about that want to look at white privilege and white supremacy and how it plays out in the employment of especially blacks and hispanics and sometimes other minorities want to look at uh, police brutality bad policing and bad cops and of course um I want to do an an Our Common Ground lesson on the issue of net neutrality because I think sometimes we talk about these things, we really don't understand what they are. And of course, I know what you're going to do. You're going to call up here and and I'm going to turn it over to you and you're going to talk about the crazies of North Carolina, the madness on turbo of the Republicans, and I also have brought on my agenda some follow-up and broadcast updates. But as we always do on Open Mic Saturday night, we always start with some history. It gives us an opportunity to just settle back. And one of the things I want to do tonight is to share with you so that you are clear about This Is America. I think that sometimes we look at these news items, we listen to the commentary and the talking heads and we kinda of think, uh, that couldn't be that couldn't be happening. Well, you know what? This happened and this is our history note for um this month on open mic Saturday night and of course You can call at 347-838-9852 if you'd like to talk about your mother. Tomorrow is Mother's Day, and our mics are open if that is on your agenda. Here is our history note.
6: At the turn of the 20th century, Tulsa, Oklahoma had the richest per capita wealth of any place on earth. It was dubbed the oil capital of the world, the magic city.
7: After spending years of struggling and sacrifice, people have begun to look upon Tulsa as the Negro metropolis of the Southwest. Going north to Archer Street for two or more blocks, one could see nothing but Negro business going east you with the whole Greenwood Avenue, the Negro's Wall Street. There were homes of beauty and splendor and the schools and churches were well attended. It was a city within a city and some malicious newspapers took pride in referring to it as Little Africa.
8: The
6: Klan was founded in 1865 to intimidate southern blacks in the post-Civil War South. The reign of terror lasted 15 years, but as the movement died out, a legend, if not a lie, remained. Aging Civil War veterans told heroic stories of how the Klan had saved the South from domination by Negroes and northern carpetbaggers. By 1915, there was no Klan in America. Three months later, an extraordinary event took place that would resurrect the Klan and its legend. The event was the release of a pioneering motion picture, D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. It was based on a best-selling book called The Klan. In many cases, Klan recruitment ads ran next to movie ads. Birth of a Nation played to 50 million people, approximately half of the population of the United States. It played across Oklahoma with a tremendous run in Tulsa.
9: When you have thousands of white men coming back from World War I, bringing back Souvenir Lewis, Spandau, and Browning submachine guns, and a variety of other weapons that they brought back from the battlefield, and then they can't find jobs and the power structure within the city at that time as was occurring in other cities would enlist them in the Ku Klux Klan meanwhile they could stand in downtown Tulsa and look at the mansions in little Africa in the Black Wall Street and seethe. The Ku Klux Klan mob, having largely been made up of veterans, began to militarily organize themselves. And they divided down into squads and ran a skirmish line along Archer.
7: After watching the men unload on 1st Street, where we could see them from our windows, we heard such a buzz and noise that on running to the door to get a better view of what was going on, the sight I eyes to hell made our whole heart stand still for a moment. There was a great shadow in the sky, and upon a second look, we discerned that this cloud was caused by fast approaching airplanes. It then dawned upon us that the enemy had organized in the night and was invading our district, the same as the Germans invaded France and Belgium. Looking south out of the window of what then was the woods building. We saw carloads of men with rifles unloading up near First Street. Then the truth dawned upon us that our men were fighting in vain to hold their dear Greenwood, Mary Parrish.
4: parish The whites were given a signal by a whistle, and the outrage took place. This happened while innocent Negroes were slumbering and did not have the least idea they would fall victims to such brutality. At the sound of another whistle, more than a dozen airplanes went up and began to drop turpentine balls on the Negro residences, while 5,000 whites with machine guns and other deadly weapons fired in all directions. Negro men, women, and children began making haste to flee to safety, but to no avail as they were met on all sides with volleys of shot. They were killed in great numbers as they ran trying to flee to safety. Torchlights were used to burn up the Negro settlement. And in the meantime, they used large trucks loading up pianos, big trollers, and other articles that were left in the Negro homes. AH
6: I trucked up to the vacated Negro homes and loaded everything moved and of value. Every bit of money found on their persons was taken. Masonic rings were removed from the fingers, watches, and chains from their persons. In fact, everything of a material nature, preparatory to the cruel initiation, which had not yet ended, was taken from them. And so, penniless. Destitute condition, they will corral for one place and another, G.A. Gray.
9: Once they framed that skirmish line, they marched into the north side of the downtown area, and they shot everybody they could find. They burned every home, but not before looting it first. They burned every business. They burned every car, they burned everything, systematically, block by block, house by house. They went all the way through the city. At the same time, the telephone lines were cut, the telegraph lines were cut, and the railroad leading into Tulsa was uh, blockaded. There was no way to communicate what was going on in Tulsa with anybody else because it was very easy to cut the city off. And that's exactly what the mayor and the city commission and the Ku Klux Klan wanted. Because it gave them the opportunity to clean out the entire African-American area of the city without being interfered with.
4: The houses the mobs set fire too without breaking in for were really almost unlucky. Because sometimes there were people who panic paralyzed. People who didn't realize with all the noise and fright that the house was on fire not until it was too late to get out.
6: There's a black veteran. You could not believe that this mob would kill a veteran, and as the mob got closer to his home, he put on his uniform and stood out in the front yard at attention. The mob killed him and burned his house. In a frenzy of destruction and violence, black corpses were tied to the bumpers of automobiles and dragged through the Greenwood District, while bullets were fired into their bodies. Some bodies were hoisted on telephone poles. An elderly black couple was murdered returning from church. A white man, mistaken for a black man, was summarily executed. Enterprising entrepreneurs snapped pictures of the grizzly scenes to be sold later as postcards entitled "Running the Negro Out of Tulsa." And it was our laundry. She lived in Greenwood. An ancient uncle
4: had been a messenger in the bank for twenty years. They knew there was trouble, of course, but the mob had missed them so far. Uncle Zach had never been late to the bank, and he trusted white folks. He thought maybe if he put on his uniform and they saw it, he put it on and started out to work. Someone shot him at the corner.
6: North Tulsa burned and its citizens murdered and arrested. The guards set up camp and began to prepare a breakfast. When a local citizen urged the commander to take some action to save property and lives, he was arrested. Martial law was declared at 1129
9: AM. The Ku Klux Klan, realizing that they were now up against an organized military force, uh, withdrew out of the area and dissipated back into their neighborhoods. It was very much like a guerrilla operation where you could no longer tell who were the combatants because they weren't wearing uniforms, and now they were part of the civilian society.
6: Detention areas were set up at a local park, the convention center
10: to where
7: we go to the convention center, and when we arrived, um there were people all on the street under the bridge, and we were like, "Why are these people on the street? Why aren't they in the convention center and when we got there people were saying you don't want to go in
1: there
10: did you go inside at all
1: not until the next day they won't let them walk out of there because i'm standing right above that convention center and what they've done is they've locked them in there the government said you you go here and, and you'll get help or you go in that superdome and you'll get help and they didn't get help They got locked in there, and they watched people being killed around them, and they watched people starving, and they watched elderly people not get any medicine. And now they know it's happening because we've been telling them repeatedly over and over every day.
6: Tension areas were set up at a local park, the convention center, and the baseball park every african-american had to fill out and carry an identification card which had to be signed by a white employer and approved by a local official if approved the prisoner was given a ribbon that he or she had to wear the ribbon read police protection Failure to wear the ribbon resulted in immediate arrest and confinement. A black person could only be released from detention if he or she was vouched for by a white person. Since mostly women and children and the elderly were marched through the streets with their hands above their heads. stress, heat, and exertion resulted in the rise of premature birth. Before the day was over, every black person in the city was killed, wounded, Arrested or placed in confinement. Would you come down to the
9: police academy? I'd like to show you something. And I said, sure. And I dropped down to the police academy and he was cleaning out some files. And underneath the bottom drawer were several pieces of paper that were clipped together with a rusty paper clip. With the rusted paper clip rusted to the paper. The papers had not been separated in years. What you had was a description of casualties that were what we later referred to as KIAs. And there were 300 plus on these six pieces of paper. There is absolutely no question in my mind that of all of the horrible race riots we've had in this country, Watts, 1968. Detroit, 1942. None of them have even approached the casualty levels of Tulsa of 1921.
2: Few
6: black Thompsons had insurance. Those who did had clauses which voided the policies in case of a riot. Those making a claim had to prove that the city or state government was negligent in protecting their property. An impossible burden because the victors had already begun to rewrite the history and insulate themselves from blame. An all-white grand jury placed the blame for the Holocaust squarely on the black population. Also blaming the black population as counts white churches. The chamber of commerce and of course thompson's white newspaper in this old nigger
9: town there are a lot of bad niggers and a bad nigger is about the lowest thing that walks on two feet give a bad nigger his booze his dope and a gun and he thinks he can shoot up the world and all these four things were to be found in nigger town
5: And all of these things were to be found in Niggertown. Thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground, trying to bring the correlation to you between what happened in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and what happened in the Superdome in 2005, 2005 in New Orleans, what happened in Detroit, and so that you are in not in total denial i am reporting tonight that a police officer shot a 93 year old woman at her home in texas but today the city the, the city council has voted that the officer involved uh, would be fired, but we have not been so fortunate in terms of what is justice in this country. The 93-year-old woman was, was shot in Hearn, Texas at her home. When she allegedly brandished a gun, did you hear the end of the the documentary uh, telling the story of Tulsa, where the victims were re-edited, were edited in the story, and they were the perpetrators. Well, Ms. Pearlie Golden, a longtime resident of Hearn, Texas, uh, was shot Tuesday night by Officer Stephen Stem, who has now, today, I can report, been fired. He was responding to a 911 call about a disturbance involving a woman with a gun. The revolver, according to the police department, was being brandished by Ms. Golden. And when this police officer encountered her, he then shot her multiple times. Well, that is a story that, where justice has prevailed. But here comes a mighty cloud of gray-haired witness for Justice in the form of our common ground witness from the bridge, Ruby Nell Sales, who wrote to the Attorney General on April 22nd saying the following. The Spirit House Project has been collecting data that shine the light on the extrajudicial murders of black people by white police officers security guards, and vigilantes since 2007. As you are aware, now this letter is going to the Attorney General of the United States, Mr. Eric Holder. She writes further, as you are aware, these deaths are not decreasing. In fact, they are escalating at a higher rate than lynching at its height during the 1980s. These deaths have been disturbing factors in common that correspond with lynching. What differs today, however, is that they are increasing reports that organs have been removed from these dead bodies. We know of at least three reports in which it has been the case. The parents of Jason Smith of Eros, Louisiana, Kendrick Johnson of Valdosta, Georgia, and Ryan Singleton of Atlanta, Georgia, discovered this gruesome reality when they retrieved their son's body. She further writes, as an African-American civil rights veteran, I remember and know the cost that people of all colors in this nation paid to contest the violence that's that was inherent in the system of states' rights. I believe the price of the ticket was too high. We have come far to allow these great high crimes, hate crimes, under the cover of law to continue. And she goes on and she concludes her letter. Often we hear, we have heard, President Obama say that he must be the president of all people. We agree with this and firmly underscore the point that this means black people too. It is from this understanding that we ask you, the highest law enforcement officer in the nation, to take a public position that reaffirms the rights of black people to be safe. We know from your record that this goes against the grain of your vision for America. We also know that you understand that we do not live in a post-racial America and that these are racialized crimes. She writes that in response to the following. We implore you to use the power of your office and your resources to promote law and order amongst police officers across this nation. We invite you to come and hope that you are willing to stand to break the silence against these 21st century lynchings. And that is exactly why I decided to open the program tonight with a history note so that you understand that this is recent history that we are talking about, that Tulsa is going on right now and that is why our number is 3478389852 and we open up our microphones for you to talk about what's on your mind that covers the the issue that's really been pressing on me uh over the last days about what we are going to do about this whole issue notion of police, bad cops with guns in this country, and black people becoming the victims of those bad cops. Also, we want to talk to you about Nigeria. We want to talk to you about how we as a country are on the road after the midterm election to the impeachment of this president. Uh, I am open uh, to hear what you think is going to happen if we do not go out and stop the Republicans and their madness. I also want to cover new, uh, net neutrality. You know, a radio, um, terrestrial radio is continuing to experience a, a very painful death, you know, and the thing that, we want you to be clear about is that uh, what you know as local radio in your neck of the woods, and we want to hear from you, uh, got a note from Norman Goldman of the Norman Goldman Show, one of the finest uh, talk broadcasters in the country, that he is being ejected from a very large uh, broadcast um, network station in uh, Seattle. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. He assumes all of this stuff generally happens around a holiday. So, you know, like you turn on your radio on Friday morning and you're listening to your favorite talk show, progressive talk show, uh, and then you turn your radio back on on Monday morning, and you can't get anybody but Rush and Hannity and Glenn Beck and Michael Savage and maybe every now and then a little Armstrong Williams or somebody. Well, is a reason that, that that this is happening. And and you, you you know, you can thank you know. Write it down right now. Start writing your little note. Send a note to you can thank Bill Clinton for this. Thank you very much, Mister Clinton, for the Telecommunications Act that you signed that created radio monopoly. But. There's also I told you so kind of side of this coin because Clear Channel Communications made the most of the frothy high-yield market this week. A new deal to chip away at its 2016 maturity wall because in 2016, Clear Channel, owned by Mitt Romney Bonney Mittens, the due the debt is due in two thousand sixteen, and it's meaningful it is meaningful uh so it's something like twenty billion dollars you got that twenty with a b so they've got some work to do, and what they are doing is at Clear Channel, they're taking all of these stations. They most likely will will, um, file for bankruptcy uh, if they're not able to address these maturities that are coming up in 2016. Um, The new trade price Monday at the tight end of 10 to 10.25%, but offered a 300 BP pickup. Uh, to an existing senior note. It's the same kind of thing that all of these major corporations go through, but Clear Channel is simply got cash flow deficits. So it is allowing people like the Koch brothers to finance people like Hannity and Rush Limbaugh because, because they're not making any money to buy up the time. So they're selling time. They're throwing people like Norman Goldman off. Our common ground came off at WTKK about five years ago for the same reason, because these companies are just – it's almost like if you ran your household, if you paid your mortgage with a credit card – for 15 years, and then all of a sudden, the bank indicates that you have to have a minimum de- uh, debt of 50 percent of what your current balance is. How about that? Our number is <laughs> three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. And uh, we'd like to hear what's on your mind tonight, what news is driving you, not necessarily to drink, but to at least scratch your head. Uh, Good to uh, have Alpha in our chat room tonight. alpha has been under the weather. He's been off the air for about four weeks, and we really miss him. Uh, We're trying to cover some of his stuff tonight. Um, So that's what's going on with... um, with radio the other thing that we think that is part of the craziness of the republicans part of their criminal intent is the whole notion of how they have been doing republican gerrymandering all over the country um and we need to be able to, I mean, all of this is connected into the mid-elections, 2014 and November. You've got to decide if you're going to change or you're going to die. That, that's, what it, that's exactly what it comes down to. Republicans are willing to fight fire with more fire even if, if it burns down their house. We can't redistrict them out of power because they do the same only worse. And so it ends up that the will of the people, you know, is democratic, but you've got a Republican, and you've got a Republican House that's just run by madmen. But we have to insist that one of the issues is creating more equitable, voting districts. We've got to fight back at the voter suppression laws that have been put into place. And for those of you who are new to us and you don't understand, every decade following the census states redraw voting district lines based on population shifts within the state. Ideally it should be done in a nonpartisan Fair way, but that isn't the reality, because the Republicans have taken over your state. Instead, what they have done is gerrymandered, and gerrymandering is against the law, in case some of you don't know it. Gerrymandered the districts drawn to heavily favor incumbent power structures and marginalized opponents, poor people, black people, brown people, and red people. That's got to be on your list. It's got to be on your list. Three four seven, eight, three, eight, nine, eight, five, two. I'm going to um, take you into something, because I think one of the things is that there, you know, most of you sit and say, well, there's got to be reason, a reason uh, for any of this stuff. And <clears throat> I listen to... A discussion, and it really comes down to America: the people who go vote, uh, the the people who think voting is a way to exercise their white supremacy, will go vote.
3: Thinking.
11: You, That's you why can they... ma- yeah, stick with us, <laughs> and you can manage McDonald's if you stick with us. No, you don't need an education to do that. But the points that they're missing, and this is, what, th- this is why people in the business are so concerned, the business of education. A good education, first of all, it, 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 it opens people's hearts to the idea of worldviews. It opens their mind to worldviews. It allows them to figure things out. It allows them to come up with solutions and and a type of analytical thinking that allows them to move around and be flexible and and, and more adapting to change. And here's something that I think is critically important that a lot of these writers that are writing about this topic right now, Mike, are talking about, and that is that, that ignorant people have an easier time judging others and hating now i don't know if you we've talked about this great sociologists have looked at this they looked at what happened in in berlin in nineteen thirty eight the more ignorant the population the better it is for a demagogue
3: isn't it well well yeah because it's easy first of all as you said before if you don't go to college it limits your options if you go to college and you can you can figure out you have different options you can do but to get to the point about fear and and hate is that it's easy because it's an easy answer? For example, let me give you a few examples. One, one of the things they're they're preaching right now is look, you're, there's poor get they get giveaways. There's too many giveaways. Let's get rid of the food stamp. Let's get rid of unemployment, you know, payments. Let's get rid of all these quote giveaways, which resonates with people who really aren't thinking clearly about those subjects in terms of how it affects even. The people close to them, it's an easy answer. It's a blame game. That's a great example, Mike, because if
11: you're looking at this analytically from, say, a college education, what you would do is you would look at the economics of that. You understand by putting money into the system at ground level, the money moves up. It doesn't trickle down, but it moves up. So if you can think analytically you say, well, this argument about giving people help when they need help, giving people unemployment when they need unemployment compensation, taking care of them when they can't eat, when they can't buy housing, giving them money puts money directly into the economy, and it moves up. But if you take a demagogue talking to ignorant people, Talking to people that haven't, they don't maybe don't have an education, maybe they don't have a, uh, even a high school education. It's easy to get them chummed up to this idea: of, By God, I'm working. Everybody else needs to working without ever it needs to be working without ever understanding of how all the dots are connected." So you almost understand why it's such a neocon effort to dumb down America. And actually, in the process, we create not only a Saipan, but we create uh, a a hateful Saipan.
3: It's a blame game also. You know, you go back to Germany, they blame the Jews and the gypsies and the homosexuals. They blame them for all the wrongs going on in society. We see that here. We have a lot of people saying, going after President Obama, whether you like him or you don't like him, he's a very smart man. He's Harvard-educated. If you like him or you don't like him, he's black, he's an African-American, And yet they can blame them. And people who don't have that critical thinking of really looking at the problem, they're able to get them to come to their corner and say, yes, I know what's causing all my problems or the problems in this country, and it's this, without being able to really discern and really think about the issue.
5: And, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons that I think this clip is so relevant is because a lot of us have bought into the idea, oh, well, we're sending all our kids to college and we're encouraging them to go to college and they can't get jobs. You know, get real. College education is not about getting a job. Okay? Number one. That that That's number one. The idea that someone is trained to get a job has always in the past been a business and industry issue. So here we are, black people walk, running around, oh yeah, you know, I'm, uh, our kids get into all this debt and then they can't get a job. Well, it is business and industry's responsibility and the government to generate jobs for people who are prepared to do them. So, the answer is not about not sending your kid to college. Um, the answer The answer really comes in understanding why our government in the legislative branch in the House of Representatives wants to marginalize. Moneys for universities and colleges, especially for HBCUs, and for those of you who don't know what that means, it's um, traditional black colleges and universities, historical, historically traditional black colleges and universities like Howard University, Florida. A&M University, North Carolina A&T University, Benedict College, where before the mainstream segregated schools allowed black people to attend. So I think we we, we have to, to sort out where the problems are. And you sort out where the problems are when you understand how the government works. The government works in a way separate but synchronized. You have your federal government, you have your state government, you have your county government, and you have your city government. Now, city government usually are the people who issue and govern through ordinance. County issues promulgates through uh, regulations. The state promulgates laws that have to do with just the state. And the federal government has been established under executive powers of the Constitution to do agencies through federal agencies, laws and regulations which really govern commerce, health and education, human services using tax dollars, housing, and there you have it. There's a civic investment for tonight. So one of the things that we have to begin to understand is that every elected official, every operating entity called a government operates differently and the agenda has to be applied to that level of government. So if you've got Republican, if you've got the Republican Governors Association, which is controlling everything that goes on in the 50 states, you got a problem. And and these people really want only to tap into the people who do not understand how it works. How it works. So our number is 3478389852. If we don't get into what is going to happen in November 2014, we're going to have not only a dumb near-fascist Congress in both the House and the Senate. We're going to have an overflow of these conservative right-wing nuts. I mean absolute nutbags running every level of government in this country. And what does that mean? It means that you will have an opinion, but it won't matter. I was having a discussion with, um, with a comrade uh, a couple of mornings ago, and one of the things that we um, were talking about was whether or not, as black people, we are willing to settle as being a disposable group of citizens in this country. And how in the world, and this came from her listening to one of my, one of the Our Common Ground broadcasts a couple of weeks ago, um, and, and, and who is going to raise the question, the moral questions, about what is happening in not only our federal government, but in our state government. A good example is what what has happened in Florida, what has happened in Pennsylvania. I mean, um, what has happened in Louisiana and Ohio and Wisconsin and Georgia. I mean, the nutbags are running around um, in churches with guns in Georgia. We can't get a handle on repositioning sanity in issues like guns and issues like education and issues like uh, health services and to the extent that we are going to assist people who are unable to be self-sufficient for a, a minute because we've got a group of nutbags, people who simply come out of the mold that created the Tulsas and the Detroits and the um and the Katrina victims and and and, our, and my question in this conversation was who's going to raise the moral issue who's going to raise what is the answer and we've been saying, we've been talking about this for a long time at our common ground um i want to take you out into the um top of the hour with someone whose analytical political analytical skills uh whose critical thinking is just so accurate uh and 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 and, and straightforward so that we can kind of like piece all of this stuff together because there's got to be an answer. Our number is 3478389852 and we'll see you on the other side of what Chris hedges of truth digs has to say about what the answer is.
8: The state will not shy away from draconian measures. The goal is complete subjugation. The iron rule of our corporations and our power elite. At least until the fossil fuel industry makes the whole planet uninhabitable. What will it take to resist? How will we dismantle the power of the corporate state, as long as it has a pervasive security and surveillance apparatus? Our only hope will come through rebellion, through building mass movements that threaten established centers of power. This rebellion will require from us not only physical courage, but finally moral courage. I spent 20 years as a war correspondent. I have seen physical courage, but this kind of courage is not the same as moral courage. Very few of even the bravest warriors have moral courage, for moral courage means to defy the crowd, to stand up as a solitary individual, to shun the intoxicating embrace of comradeship, and to be disobedient to authority even at the risk of your life, for a higher principle. And with moral courage comes persecution. The American Army pilot, Hugh Thompson, had moral courage. He landed his helicopter between a platoon of U.S. soldiers and ten terrified Vietnamese civilians during the My Lai Massacre. He ordered his gunner to fire his M60 machine gun on the advancing U.S. soldiers if they began to shoot the villagers. And for this act of moral courage, Thompson, like Snowden, was hounded and reviled. Moral courage always looks like this. It is always defined by the state as treason. The Army attempted to cover up the massacre and court-martial Thompson. It is the courage to act and speak the truth. Thompson had it. Daniel Ellsberg had it. Malcolm X had it. Martin Luther King had it. What those in authority once said about them, they say today about Snowden. My country, right or wrong, is the immoral equivalent of my mother drunk or sober, G.K. Chesterton reminded us. So let me end today by speaking to you about those drunk with the power to sweep up all your email correspondence Your tweets, your web searches, your phone records, your file transfers, your live chats, your financial data, your medical data, your criminal and civil court records, and your movements. Those who are awash in billions upon billions of taxpayer dollars, those who have banks of sophisticated computer systems along with biosensors, scanners, face recognition technologies and miniature drones, those who have obliterated your anonymity your privacy and, yes, your liberty. There is no free press without the ability of reporters to protect the confidentiality of those who have the moral courage to make public the abuse of power. Those few individuals inside government who have dared to speak out against the system of mass surveillance have been charged as spies under the Espionage Act or hounded into exile. An omnipresent surveillance state—and I covered the East German-Sazi state as a reporter—creates a climate of paranoia and fear. It makes democratic dissent impossible. Any state that has the ability to inflict full-spectrum dominance on its citizens is not a free state. It does not matter if it does not use this capacity today. It will use it. History has shown should it feel threatened or seek greater control. The relationship between those who are constantly watched and tracked and those who watch and track them is the relationship between masters and slaves. And those who wield this unchecked power become delusional. General Keith Alexander, the director of the National Security Agency, hired a Hollywood set designer, to turn his command center at Fort Fort Meade into a replica of the bridge of the Starship Enterprise so he could sit in the captain's chair and pretend he was Jean-Luc Picard. James Clapper, the director of National Intelligence, had the audacity to lie under oath to Congress. This spectacle was a rare glimpse into the absurdest theater that now characterizes American political life. A Congressional Oversight Committee holds public hearings. It is lied to. It knows it is being lied to. The person who lies knows the committee members know he is lying, and the committee, to protect their security clearances, says and does nothing. I was, as I mentioned, a plaintiff before the Supreme Court in Clapper versus Amnesty International, which challenged the FISA Amendment Acts of 2008. These acts authorized surveillance without a showing or probable cause that a tar- per- targeted person is an agent of a foreign power. The court, as I mentioned earlier, dismissed our lawsuit because it said that the idea we were targets of surveillance was based on speculation. This Supreme Court ruling was then used, as I mentioned, to support the Obama administration's appeal of our successful challenge to Section 1021 of the National Defense Authorization Act. Now, the government, in both of these cases, never attempted to defend the surveillance and detention programs as constitutional. What they did, rather, was to say that I and the other plaintiffs had no right to bring the case to court, and these courts agreed. The Fourth Amendment, which limits the state's ability to search and seize to a specific place, time, and event approved by a magistrate, is impossible to square against the arbitrary search and seizure of all our personal communications. And even former Vice President Al Gore has said correctly that Snowden disclosed evidence of crimes against the United States Constitution. Societies such as ours that once had democratic traditions or periods when relative openness was possible are often the most easily seduced into totalitarian systems because those who rule and build totalitarian structures Continue to pay outward fealty to the ideals, practices, and forms of the old system. This was true when Emperor Augustus dismantled the Roman Republic. It was true when Lenin and the Bolsheviks seized control of the autonomous Soviets and ruthlessly centralized power. It was true following the collapse of the Weimar Republic and the rise of Nazi fascism. Thomas Paine described despotic governments as a fungus, growing out of a corrupt civil society. And this is what has happened to us. No one who lives under constant surveillance, who is subject to tension anywhere at any time, whose conversations, messages, meetings, proclivities, and habits are recorded, stored, and analyzed is free. Yet the corporate state assures us that our rights are sacred, that it abides by the will of the people, that the Fourth Amendment remains intact, and that our system has the consent of the governed. The defense of liberty, which Snowden exhibited when he cast his fortune, his safety, and his life aside to inform the public of the forces arrayed against our constitutional rights, entails grave risks. It demands personal sacrifice. Snowden has called us to this sacrifice. He has allowed us us to see who we are, in what we have become. He has given us a chance. He has also shown us the heavy cost of defiance. It is up to us to seize this chance and dismantle the corporate state. This means removing from power those who have stolen our liberty and lied to us. It means refusing to naively trust in their cosmetic reforms. For reforms will never come for those who are complicit in crime. Reform will come and only come through the building of mass movements and alternative centers of power that can overthrow, let me repeat that word for homeland security, overthrow the corporate state. If we fail to sever these chains, we will become like many who did not rise up in time to save their civil society's human chattel. This means we too must defy the law and engage in civil disobedience. There is no other way for the truth to be told and there is no other way for justice to be recovered. Do not be fooled by those in power. They will not save us. We can only save ourselves. We are the people we have been waiting for. We must find, like Snowden, the moral and physical courage to tear down the structures that enslave us. Appealing or trusting to these structures is a waste of time. And all those who insist that we be patient, that we trust the system to reform itself, offer an argument that is as cogent as the one made by the March Hare during the mad tea party in Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) Have some wine, the March Hare said, in an encouraging tone, Alice looked all around the table, but there was nothing on it but tea. I don't see any wine, she remarked. There isn't any, said the March Hare.
6: You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
1: I believe in sex. I believe in love. I believe in taking responsibility.
12: I believe in using condoms. Yo confío en mi comunidad.
4: I believe in being
7: honest and open.
1: I believe in keeping my partner safe. I believe in myself. I believe in stopping HIV. I believe in the future. HIV stops with me. 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 me.
10: There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're 7th in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, 3rd in median household income, number 4 in labor force, and number 4 in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending. When you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world,
12: I don't know what the fuck you're talking about.
3: What we see before our eyes, the sky is green and the grass is blue. But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this economy, and this, uh, these people are sabotaging this country.
5: And also on Truth Network, the best of political pushback.
2: Go for it, The Alpha Show.
5: Truth for our youth. Self-empowerment for teens. TruthWorks Network is proud to present a radio workshop. A two-hour, six-week series for activists, parents, teens, teachers, and other adults who work and advocate for teens. Hosted by Ajay Taimba, author of the book of the same name. TruthWorks Network, coming April 14th, a six-week radio workshop broadcast to help activists, teens, and communities self-empower. I'm Janice Graham. Check out Truth for Our You, live radio workshop at TruthWorks Network. Only on TruthWorks Network. Wednesdays, 8 p.m., Truth For Our Youth,
8: Self-Empowerment for Teens.
5: Well, obviously, he is not Janice Graham, and the workshop will not begin on April 14th. Uh, We are rescheduling uh, Truth For Our Youth uh, workshop, and we will let you know more about that. You should check out the Truth For Our Youth Facebook page uh, to be updated about that program.
1: India Declare. Real, raw, and right now.
5: It's the I Declare Show with India Declare. 11 a.m. Friday and Saturday. End your week and start your weekend with real, raw, and right now. 11 a.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare it. invite you to join Peter E. Matthews on Soul Emergence, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m., Soul Emergence at TruthWorks Network, where reconciliation is the tool of revolution. Soul Emergence with Peter E. Matthews, only on TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative.
6: Common Ground. Thank you for joining us tonight. Transforming truth to battle. One broadcast at a time. Stay tuned. Our Common Ground.
2: With
5: Janice Graham.
2: Our Common Ground.
5: Are you thinking about why um, the GOP is all fired up about? Benghazi, and why they're wrong, Uh, I have been thinking about it, and it comes right down to they don't got much more, but what they're doing is going after Hillary, and I don't know if that is what's on your mind. I don't know if you believe that, uh, that there is a coincidence that the Monica Lewinsky diary, is coming up at this time. These people are really getting ready for these midterm elections, and I'm wondering if you're getting ready, because, you know, uh, we are living as black people in the violent underbelly of this society. And if you want to argue with me about that, our number is 347-838-9852. What other kind of conclusion can you get to when we are living in another era, though different as Ruby Sales indicated in her letter to the uh, 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 Attorney General Eric Holder, and that while the President has been able to see violence against girls who were kidnapped in Nigeria uh, by some savage military posse gang group and he can see that kind of inhumanity he cannot or does not talk about the kind of brutality and terrorism under which black people are living. And I'm not talking about just the physical terrorism. I'm talking about, you know, what happens to you and the kind of uh, indiscretion, the kind of uh, indignities that you have to suffer on your jobs as you shop. You know... India Declare on her broadcast this morning was talking about um, how we use our political power, the little political power that we have. And really, we are a significant consumer group. And I'm wondering if it hasn't occurred to, I mean, has it occurred to any of you that the fact that you don't go and spend your money in places where, the corporations actually are working against your interests, that you do not support elected officials who are working against, on a local level, who are working against the interests of our community. And when I say community, I mean we're all broke up, you know. We're, we're just broken up. There is no indigenous, contiguous community of black people In any major city, except in any major city, it's still the kind of segregation, housing and residential segregation that we suffer continues in very small enclaves in some of the major cities and in rural areas in the the south and, and, and northwest of this country. So I'm not not sure if, you know, I, I get a little bit, let me just say it, pissed off when I see black people discussing things, well, not discussing how those dots are integrated and connected in our lives. But we are real clear about Dr. Dre and Tyrese making a video in celebration that they will become uh, billionaires in this deal to sell Beats Electronics to, to, to Apple. Uh, in a recent, if for, for those of you who are not aware, who might not know what I'm talking about, in a recent Forbes article, Dr. Dre's Steak in Beats, Currently stands at somewhere around twenty to twenty-five percent, and it has been valued. This company, Beats, has been valued at two billion dollars in the latest round of estimates, and a sale for three point two billion dollars would nearly double the value of of Dr. Dre's holding. I, you know, I don't have anything against Dr. Dre. Um, He's going to have to face his capital gains taxes, and it'll take a big bite out of his big payday. But it would leave him in the net worth in the neighborhood of about $800 million in this deal. And he's already a millionaire. So it's quite enough to land him on Forbes 400, but it would easily make him hip-hop's richest man, topping current champion Diddy, who, by the way, was the commencement speaker at Howard University today, and I understand from all reports, uh, three people who were there, that he did a fantastic job, and students were very invigorated by a very positive and reality-based speech that he made, but... Uh, diddy is considered to be worth 100 million dollars <throat> so dr dre ought to be a happy man tonight we're happy for him but to what extent is that going to should should that be on our list we're at the top of the hour at our common ground we thank you for being with us and we're going to go to our phone 610 you're on the air thank you for your call
0: Oh uh, Yes, hello, Hothep. Uh, Brother Brock, Brock from, from Philadelphia,
5: PA. Thank you for your hello. call and thank you for being with us.
0: And thanks for having the show. And to your listening audience, to the Blog Talk family, hello. Uh, to the uh, Janice Graham uh, On Common Ground family, hello, Hothep. And I'd like to attempt to answer the two, two common questions you had on the table. Uh, I guess with the last one first, uh, pertaining to, you know, obviously I'm all for spending our dollars in our community to help us promote ourselves. Uh, using that last example uh, with uh, P. Diddy and or um, uh, the, the, the guy with the beats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. The Drake. Uh, Dr. Dr. Drake. And don't forget, Dr. he Dr.
5: gave a $800,000 um, gift to the University the of California. House and not to an HBCU a couple of months ago.
0: Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, One thing thing I see in common when our people make it big, uh, too many of us use that person as an example of getting ahead, as if we intimately know that person, as if that person is family, when that person is nothing more than we are a fan to them. So I think that hurts us because so many people will brag that they know the person, even though they actually don't. But I'm saying, okay, now that you think you know that person with a million dollars, how about you? Do you have a million dollars? Why are you so happy that that person has a million dollars? However, you're not even thinking about yourself. Of trying to make a million dollars.
5: Well, you and, bring and up... Uh, you, you, you highlight a, a real uh, significant problem in our community, Brother Brock, and we mm-hmm. thank you for it. Uh, we have got to stop supporting those people in our community who clearly have the means to support us but do not. And that mm-hmm. includes celebrities, that includes entertainers, um, and sports figures. We uh, That includes elected officials. That includes uh, members of the Black Caucus who give in tiny amounts to uh, United Way or the Urban League or the NAACP and think that they have made an investment in our community. We have got to force these people to understand. It's just like, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're no different than Walmart or or Red Lobster or Papa John's or Olive Garden or the Coke Coke Industries, as far as I'm concerned, or Mm Coca-Cola, that if they are not investing in what is in our interest, then they ought to be invisible to us. You know, what yep. would happen if, if all black people decided the Celtics organization here in Boston is, is not doing anything but having their players show up at the boys' girls' club or whatever, the community centers, and saying hi to the kids and giving them some, some T-shirts or whatever, and that's it. What if everybody said, until you invest in community, organizations at a level that you invest at some level and significance that you invest in your marketing, we're not coming to your games.
0: I wish that would take place. And I would have to include the coaches, the owner of, as well, because the exactly. you know, money, you know, has got to include the owner. But these people, exactly. they, they act like it's community service, but it's, it's, it's mainly community service just so they can get more out of it the next day. It's not community exactly. service I mean, out of goodness of your heart.
5: Richard Parsons was just um, uh, appointed the CEO of the Clippers organization in the in the context of all this controversy around the Clippers. Number mm-hmm. one, I don't care about the Clippers. Number two, <laughs> number two, um, Parsons as the CEO of American Express did very little for us. Did very little in terms of ensuring equity and fair treatment of applicants for the American Express card Or the predatory nature of the collections of American Express toward black people So he's not going to, I mean, it's not going to make any difference in our lives And I think, Brother Brock, you're absolutely right If it doesn't make any difference in our lives, we need to walk away from it and leave it alone
0: Yep, and then my uh, second Answer to the prior question comment with the uh, why does the uh, Republicans seem to say and get away with anything they want to say and do? I directly blame the media because this Associated Press, because we no longer have you know hardcore journalism for the most part, as far as mainstream is concerned at least. They throw the mic in front of them, and I say the reason they do throw the mic in front of these these um, uh, uh, regressives is they're, they're one and the same. I still do not see any difference with mainstream media and the teabag slash conservative republic. Even though they're supposed to be different, I see it as the same. They're, they're all helping to promote their image, their standing of uh, uh, taking America back and the Constitution and, and, and all that was once there, And mm-hmm. although the media will put all stories out there, it is obvious that they are slanting and giving that side a huge leg up because everywhere we turn, we hear their side as opposed to having a big deep to hear our side. So mm-hmm. fortunately, uh, your uh, media and, and the other um, um, media hubs that are out here on social media—that's that, that's the only way I get my balance. So I'm fortunate and thankful that I found you guys and gals. Otherwise, I'd still be lost. I believe that. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, thank you uh, for the compliment. We're 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 pleased that. Uh, We're meeting some of our goal, and that is to offer an alternative uh, for empowerment and for activism in our community. That's what we try to do. That's what we see as our mission here. But one of the things that we have got to start, start doing is talking back. We really don't talk back. We, we allow. All know we all
0: know Go ahead.
5: The reason why is, please explain it to you, me.
0: You know, it's the same way you heard when when the politicians have to. You know, people don't want to see a uppity or a angry black man. It's not acceptable. So, most people, as you climb the ladder, know that it's unacceptable. So they choose to try to to blend in, and. And get promotions. You can't get promotions if you're the only black man, unless you're just one in a thousand. So mm-hmm. majority, total line, total rope, and and they succeed. I prefer the pushback.
5: hmm One of the things I've been talking to people about, and been talk, trying to talk about, and the reason why I do an open mic um, on on a monthly basis and not have it so structured is because I don't think that we have given very much thought to our moral obligations and moral authority in our own community. For instance, when I say talk back, I am talking about how we support media and I'm talking about black media now, who sit on the cusp. You, you understand? They 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 sit on the sideline, and they'll say a little bit. And then if the mainstream media, for instance, if Ed Schultz or Rachel Maddow or Chris Matthews or or whoever. If they say something, then we go ballistic and we're just repeating everything they said rather than taking the leadership. Look how long it took us to resolve the question of whether or not this was a president for black people. We kept saying, "Oh, he has to be—you know—we have to give him a chance." And we, and and now he's a lame duck president. He's going to be facing a Republican Senate, and nothing will happen. I mean, all you got to do do is look back at what the what the Congress did to Bill Clinton in the last two years of of his presidency. Shut him down.
0: Well, he got impeached. That's right. I think. And I think I, best and Let
5: me ask you a question. Do you think? Mm-hmm. Do you think this Congress? Do you think this House is going to impeach uh, Barack Obama?
0: No. No. He's, he's Why not? He's too much of a. I think he's too much of a moderate. Too much of a uh, uh, um, negotiator. I think he. Uh, the stock market is doing extremely well. So the big businesses. Will be in his corner, and uh, that's why I think you know. Nope, nope he 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 makes sure he takes care of them. That's why the money went to Main Street, before, Wall Street before it went to Main Street. So although the, the conservatives um, make the noise, I think the heavy heavy hitting business people will say, "Yep, yeah, we're okay." And, and now, if you look at the insurance companies, they love this uh, affordable health care. They're the ones clocking. Mm-hmm
5: make a money.
0: Humanoid, humanoid dollars out of this deal.
5: So, I mean, yes. if somebody came along and did something that would increase my listenership, my sponsorship by 250 d- d- uh, percent, I'd love it too.
0: Yep, yep. And but let me you I, give an ex- I disagree ex- with you,
5: Brother Brock, on this impeachment mm-hmm. question. You yes. and I both know that they know that the road back to the White House is doing, doing the dirty for the, for the Tea Party and the right-wing evangelicals. And an impeachment proceeding would be just like the, the whipped cream and nuts and cherry on the Sunday,
0: yeah, that would be their their, their game, their, their big grand slam. But I just don't see it. I just don't.
5: I mean, you 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 really have to give. You really have to look at what's been their end game, and their end game has been to demonstrate that they are willing to destroy this black everything. boy in the pres- in the, in the White House.
0: Everything. We want to destroy everything. Yep, yep. They'll close the government down.
5: Mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. So, and mean, and to a, a great extent, we have to in the media, in the in the, in the black media, we have to toe the road to what extent that we are courting the grand ceiling of the deal. I think we have to be very careful about it. And that's not to say, you know, we got caught up in this nonsense, and and I think you and I and uh, people who come on to our common ground, we've been talking about it for six years now. A president is not a person. Barack Obama is the person. But a president is something else. And we should always evaluate the president, a president by his policies. I'll give you an example and I talked about this last week. This um Brothers Keeper initiative. Okay. If the if if the if the if the program has a rule that you have to have an organization in forty states in order to participate how many black organizations you think can do that?
0: That's that's, now, that's a, a problem that, that, was that pointed the out. president
5: bought
0: into. Mm-hmm. Now you're limited like, to uh, you're limited to the one or two organizations that's going to get the money for this mm-hmm. uh, for this program. So you're going to be even saying, if you think
5: about it, Alpha Phi mm-hmm. Alpha, Omega Psi Phi, Kappas, none of those organizations can participate in that, in, in that program because none of them have an organization in 40 states. They might have an back organization to, yep. in 35, but not in mm-hmm. 40.
0: You're right back to the one, maybe the NAACP, maybe the Urban League, and that's it. So you're always... We're always spinning our wheels, always coming back to the same base when we let them set the tone and let them set the agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, we may have tried to set the agenda, but they they made sure that the rules keep them on top. And they keep putting now, let me ask you another question. I want to ask everybody at three four mm-hmm. seven
5: eight three eight nine eight five two. how many people were at the table when such a rule was was made?
0: It don't seem decided. like many if they, allowed 40, if they allowed 40 states to be a caveat. There must not have been many people at that table.
5: Well, you know, nine, the thing March is, there nine, were nine, a eight. lot of people at the table. NAACP wow. was at the ter- table, the Urban League at the table, well, um, nice 100 team. black men were at the table. And, and and guess what, Brock? Guess what? They didn't mm. take the time to read and understand The
0: details And that's common In politics Because look mm-hmm. You know Those those details Are like A thousand pages long When they want to make sure You don't know What's going on You know That's what they did With the uh, affordable healthcare They made sure That it was so complicated They just kept Tacking on Tacking on Tacking on pages So I, mm-hmm. I agree with you Yes indeed Yes, yes indeed mm-hmm. Let me, let me quickly give one example that you mentioned when you talked about the sale of the Clippers. Um, if I can remember exactly what that train of thought was. Oh, uh, uh, you mentioned how we need to make more noise, talk back. And the example was we don't do it until we hear the white person do it. And you mentioned a different media uh, uh, host. And then once, once they Uh, latch on to it then we feel as though it's okay to talk about it publicly I thought that was directly the result of when the head of the NBA came out very vocal, very strong when he put his stamp of approval saying this owner has to go that's when you heard a whole lot of noise from all the other black entities out here and I thought, mm-hmm. I know, you know, we. I know it was said that the black folks put pressure on the NBA, but I saw the NBA is acting slow and methodical. But maybe I'm wrong. But it looked like no. I, I I days. I
5: think it's happened. I think it's happened mm-hmm. in a number of cases. Okay, I, think I, think I think it happened. Most uh, I think it happened in, most recently with uh, the whole notion of uh, of. Um, the girls that
0: were kidnapped in Nigeria. Yeah, but I still don't think we got justice out of that. That's why I can't use that as an you example. You don't have justice see, out of that. I still see the ball being dropped tremendously yep. on that. Yep.
5: So. Well, I appreciate your call, and we yeah. are going to move on to that issue of uh, what's happening in Nigeria. Uh, Brock... Uh, Make sure that you take care of the mothers in your family, and our wishes are for all our sisters uh, uh, who are moms to uh, have a wonderful, wonderful uh, day tomorrow.
0: Thank you, much, And mute my mic so I can listen in the background.
5: Okay, I certainly will. Thank you for your call. That was Brother Brock in Philadelphia, PA. Let's, let's move on to understanding some of this stuff about uh, what's happening with the This kidnapping. is
10: Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the Warren Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman.
1: And I'm Erin Mattei. Welcome to our listeners and viewers around the country and around the world. Well, bring back our girls. That has become the rallying cry in Nigeria as protests continue over the kidnapping of nearly 300 girls from a northern boarding school. On April 14th, Islamic militants stormed an all-girl secondary school and seized the students. On Monday, a video was released showing the leader of Boko Haram claiming responsibility.
8: Just because I took some little girls in Western education, everybody is making noise. Let me tell you, I took the girls. Girls go and get married. We are against Western education. And I say, stop Western education. I repeat, I took the girls and I will sell them off. There is a market for selling girls.
1: Nearly 300 schoolgirls remain in captivity while 53 have managed to escape. State officials report some of the girls have already been sold off as brides for as little as $12. Others were reportedly forced to marry their abductors and taken to neighboring Cameroon and Chad. The area in northeastern Nigeria where the girls were kidnapped has been under a state of emergency for nearly a year, and their school was reportedly the only one still open. Hundreds have taken to the streets, calling on Nigeria's government to intensify its search for the students.
5: What we are here to do is to let the government know that they should declare the identity of the kidnappers and release our daughters.
3: This is not too much an assignment for Nigeria to do.
5: And that is why we are
3: here.
1: We want security to be doubled up the life,
3: We want these girls to be rescued with immediate effect. We want them back alive.
1: On Sunday, President Goodluck Jonathan vowed to win the girl's release, but hours later, police arrested two women who helped organize protests over the government's seeming inaction. The two had just met with First Lady Pachance Jonathan, who accused them of fabricating the story of the abduction in order to embarrass her husband's government. The story is making international headlines just as Nigeria prepares to host the World Economic Forum on Africa.
4: For more, we're joined by two guests in Lagos, Nigeria, and we thank
5: Democracy Now! and Amy Goodman for that story. Over the last week, uh, U.S. Marines have arrived in Nigeria to help with the fight against terrorism. After Boko Haram took their war of terror to another level, and um, the matter was getting beyond the control of the Nigerian government, that's that's really uh, very clear. Uh, the abduction, as the report at Democracy Now! Um, indicated, uh, it's coming at a time when Nigeria is hosting World Economic Forum on Africa and in between two horrific bomb blasts in Abijah. Uh There has been a lot of international offer of support. France, the U.K., the U.S., and China have all offered differing degrees of support, in the form of intelligence, training, and military assistance. And since this past Wednesday, U.S. troops have arrived in Nigeria, uh, where they're providing security for the World Economic Forum Summit on Africa, and it's expected that they will also join Nigerian soldiers in pursuing Boko Haram into the... Sambisa Forest in Borno State where they are believed to have spirited uh the kidnapped girls. So tonight at our common ground we are all Nigerians. Uh our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. Uh we'd like to hear from you if you have any thoughts about um what is occurring um in um, in regard to whether or not... I mean, there are people out there um, who oppose military intervention or the U.S. presence uh, in Nigeria in regard to this um, situation. But, you know, one of the things I want to underscore... Uh, Nigeria is a country in Africa. There are other countries, Tanzania, the democratic Republic of congo uh, Rwanda, where this kind of violence at another in another way continues to and If you want to really keep up with what 's going on, our recommendation is that uh, there is a website, there is a website uh, with news on Nigeria where I stay in touch with uh, what's going on in Nigeria uh, besides uh, this kidnapping. And it's nigerianwatch.com. And uh, you should um, check to see is... Um, to, to, to just update yourself on what's going on there. You're listening to Our Common Ground, and our number is 347-838-9852. As I've told you on previous broadcasts, we are ending part one of our 2014 season tonight, uh, Black America, A State of Crisis. We'll be coming back on July 5th. Um, and we're hoping to come back with another format. Uh, we want to ask you to share this broadcast uh, in your Twitter feed, uh, on your Facebook page. Our Facebook is Facebook page is OCG Talk. We will be doing some work on what's going on at TruthWorks Network. So the Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson will not be returning. Um, and uh, we wish him well. Uh, He did some beautiful, beautiful radio work uh, while he was with us, but Dr. Johnson has found that his professional obligations um, are um, competing uh, with his radio um, program, and he needs to Take some time in order to do that. We're going to move on three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. This is uh, open mic Saturday night at our common ground, and you can give us a call and tell us what's what's on your uh, on your agenda. Uh, we are going into the final uh, twenty minutes of of the show. Uh, we have talked about. Benghazi-gasm, I call it Benghazi-gasm, uh, radio, bad policing and bad cops, um, <clears throat> how we can cure. I mean, I think that Chris Hedges has it right that we have to rebel. We have to rebel by organizing, We have to, and, and I talk about organizing on this broadcast over and over and over. It is not enough just know. And the moral question is whether or not in living in the violent underbelly of this society, you have settled to be disposable waste. We want to encourage you to follow us as the mighty clouds of gray-haired Witnesses for Justice gets ready uh, to do a major, major push uh, on justice for uh, our people in Washington. We It is not enough to just continue to say, oh, we're sick and tired, we're sick and tired. Uh, before we go tonight, we do want to uh, do two... Um, give you a few moments, if you do not know, to understand this issue of net neutrality.
10: Uh, First of all, let's just define terms. Net neutrality.
13: Basically, net neutrality is not a government takeover of the World Wide Web or really of anything. It's just this notion that the company that provides you with connectivity to get onto the Internet, whether it's Verizon, Comcast, AT&T, or one of the slightly smaller ones, shouldn't be interfering with that traffic. They shouldn't be deciding where you can go, what you can say in your emails, whether you can visit certain websites or not. And Verizon in this case has claimed that very right. They've said they have not only a statutory right, but a First Amendment right to edit the Internet and to decide where people go and to play that role. Key question for this court is, is Internet access service as sold to you by Verizon or Comcast, the people who provide these pipes, is it more like a telephone system or more like a newspaper verizon says they're a newspaper and we say no, they're actually a communications network that we so all an, need to know. So a
10: have. newspaper can say to a reporter, we're going to do this story, not this story, right. I want you to take this angle, not that angle, you know, uh, whatever. Right. A telephone company doesn't get on and if you start wandering off and talking about your aunt Agnes start yelling in your ear, get back to talking about business or whatever. The, the phone company just lets you carry through whatever you're carrying through. Is that, is that the, the metaphor that you're using? Exactly.
13: I mean, that's what phone systems were subject to, something called common carriage regulations. And it's a really simple doctrine. The company that you pay to ship something for you doesn't get to mess with the contents of what you're shipping. Right. That's what phone companies had to live with. That's what we think internet service providers if they're providing you with that connectivity part. You know, if they're the ones selling you the access, they should have to live with that same Why would they
10: want to be able to tell you what you can see and can't see on the web, what you can post and can't post on the web, uh, what speed different websites come to you at, or why would they want to be able to read your email?
13: Well, as usual, it is all about the money. And so a company like Verizon or Comcast wants to be able to, in their words, monetize that pipe and they want to say not only do we charge you tom or you matt a certain amount for your internet connectivity that we're selling you we'd also like to charge rt or we'd like to charge google or facebook or youtube or whomever for the privilege of sending information to you and they'd like to have what they call a two-sided market what we call it is double charging they're going to collect not only from their customers but also from the big companies and the small companies who really can't afford to pay these tolls charge them for the privilege, in Verizon's mind, of getting their content in front of you.
10: So to extend the phone analogy, it would be a little bit like um, whoever's making the phone call gets charged for it and whoever's receiving it. We've mm-hmm. already, we're already sort of there with cell phone usage, yeah. although you could really, to take it even farther than that, if, if you're gonna call uh, Macy's and ask information, the call might only cost three cents. But if you're gonna call Saks, uh, it might cost 15 cents, because they've got to deal with Macy's.
13: Exactly, they could do those kind of things. And, and it's important to remember, too, it's not that Google today, or pick your favorite internet company, is actually doing this for free. They're paying their own internet service provider, or their own wire provider, however they get their stuff onto the internet, they're paying for that as well. What Verizon wants to do, or Comcast wants to do, some of these companies who fought this for so long, is they want to say, we're serving you, Tom, and we also want to collect from Google, from Facebook, from Netflix. They want to have, again, if they call it a two-sided market, I call it more of a three-sided market.
5: And that is your basic lesson about net neutrality. Now, let me tell you why I think the issue of net neutrality is so important to black people. First of all, it is about access and your your agency as a taxpayer. And the FCC, now that the court, the Supreme Court has said that net neutrality is okay. So the government now, the federal government, and you remember we talked about the federal government, the state government, the county government and the and the local government, the city government, All of those people have got to decide the issue of net neutrality as it operates in their place of authority. So here is why people get so baffled about the president who says that we want hope and change and freedom and justice is he has appointed an FCC regulator, the chairman of the FCC, who is really going to make this decision. And all that this administration has to do is to begin to call your Internet provider, Comcast, Verizon, RCN, whoever you have, Time Warner, a utility. And it comes from underneath the decision made by the Supreme Court. Now, here is why I think it's important to you. It's important to you because this is a place, just like, just like you have consu- black consumer power at Walmart and at Red Lobster and at Coke Industry, you have a great deal, of political and consumer power on this issue. Because the minute that Time Warner and Comcast become the monopoly, everywhere, every market, 24 out of the 27 major markets in this country, they will also decide the issue of price hiking for you to have access to the Internet. They will will also decide what content. I mean, like, I subscribe to Netflix, and I subscribe to Amazon. Well, I get Amazon with my Amazon free. And I just subscribe to Hulu, and I just subscribe to African News, and I just subscribe all that stuff comes up on my tele my television. What net neutrality does it is allows Comcast I mean, have you ever been watching a movie and all of a sudden it says, Oh, your internet connection got disconnected or whatever it says happens all the time on Amazon because they don't have their act together. So, can you imagine that the I I wa I subscribe to all of these because certain kinds of documentaries I want to watch, certain kinds of programming. I love British drama series, uh, and I love documentaries. So the progressive kind of documentaries, like um, the one on 9 9-1-1, 9-11, the um, history, it will be Comcast and Time Warner who decides, whether or not you get that in the way that you are getting it now, that is the problem. We want to thank you for being with us in this Part 1 of Season 2014 at Our Common Ground. Um, uh, a note that you can uh, enjoy an archive of uh, four years, five years of Our Common Ground uh, at In. We are on Stitcher, we're on
2: iTunes,
5: and we are, you can also enjoy our archives here at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Uh, We appreciate and we thank you for your listenership. We thank you for your support. You've got to start calling in more to do a program like this. Um that conversation with Dr. Brock is helpful to everyone, and we hope that we can get a large enough audience where our boards are nothing but call-ins, just filled with with callers, because you're getting my perspective, but what I want to do is get your perspective. Uh, I provide the information. I give you the background like I just Gave you the uh, lesson on net neutrality, the basics of net neutrality. You, if you, you cannot say if you listen to that that you don't know about net neutrality. So we, we really do thank you uh, for that. We had a lot more. In, we had a lot more information um, and support feed uh, feed audio uh, about some of these discussions. I uh, wanted to do um, a profile on Dr. Ronald Daniels, who is, I think, one of the finest activists in this country, but you can also find him on YouTube. Don't forget about our YouTube channel, Our Common Ground on YouTube. We are there. TruthWorks Network is there. And don't forget uh, that tomorrow is Mother's Day, and we need to pause and... Here is our tribute to all of the mothers out there and uh, to know that for so many of us, it's about mother.
12: Life. Every life. Every heartbeat. Began with the mom. Who willingly accepted a divine role thankless job, a sticky, sleepless, soul-stretching career. For nine months, 90 months, 90 years, she taught us right from wrong, left from right, baking soda from baking powder. slept little and worried much. She laughed, lathered, rinsed, and repeated, and repeated. Who taught us to love God, to love others, to love ourselves? Who prayed with us and prayed for us? Who read to us and taught us what the words meant? It was Mom. Who is the champion, the cheerleader, the chief inspiring officer? Who is the queen of bedtime, dinnertime, holidays, holy days, early mornings, late nights, music lessons, life lessons, and everything we cling to with all our hearts? It was, it is, and forever will be, Mom.
5: just a wonderful day of celebration of everything that you do, of everything. Mothering never stops. It is the hardest, most complicated, most comforting job that anyone could ever have. And I want to... Um, call out the name of my mother ancestors, Gladys Speed Peak and Edith Thompson Palmer. I was fortunate and blessed to have two moms. I remember all the women in my lives who were my mothers. Thank you for being with us. Have a wonderful day and don't forget to remember the mothers in your life tomorrow. It's not Hallmark. It's love. At our common ground, appreciate and are grateful for your support and your listenership. Thank you for being with us in Part 1 of Season 2014 at Our Common Ground. We'll be right back here July 5th to begin the second part of Season 2014. I'm Janice Graham. On July 5th, 2014, I'll be listening for you. Stay in touch via Facebook and all our social media and our website email us at OCGinfo at OurCommonGround.com. Don't forget, you can review all of our broadcasts in our archives, either on our website or here at the broadcast location, Blog Talk Radio. You can think.